many of y'all got kids? I got kids. Um, how many of y'all, you know, before you had your, your, your children, like your first child, second, third, or umpteenth, if you're like Pastor Brad and don't have cable TV, um, you had all these kids. How many of y'all had a hard time picking the names for your kids? Like I did. Like Kelly and I, we had the hardest time picking the names for our kids, and we, we were just struggling with it. Like with, for Hannah, like we had no idea what to call her. I mean, obviously, we eventually figured it out, you know, but had no idea what to call her. And, and we were kind of we stressing a little bit over what to call this thing because the name is important, right? You don't want to give your, your kid a goofy name, and, and I don't want to give them a name that was going to get them picked on. And I didn't want to, like, overwork the naming process and try to come up with something that was like so unique it was just ridiculous you know like you you come across people that have just got some crazy names and it's definitely a unique thing um but we I like the, the the spellings that people use for names sometimes just to make them unique is hilarious to me i brought some of them to show you because we were looking at different ways to spell our our kids names and 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 these are some these are legit spellings I double-checked it on the Google. I double-checked it, and these are legit names that people have for their children. Now, if you're here and you spell your name this way, listen, dang. Um, it's okay. Have fun writing that out. But Tiffany, T-I-P-H-A-N-I-E-E, -E. That, that's not too bad, but Jessica, Jesse, Jessica, that's just crazy. They used almost every consonant you could possibly use in the English language to spell that name. Poor Jessica's going to have carpal tunnel by the time she's 18 from writing that thing out on all of her schoolwork, you know. And then you got, now, depending on how you're reading this last one, it's either Tyson or Thyson. Now, if it were me in school, that would be Tyson. You'd be Tyson all the way through high school, whether it was Tyson or not. You know, I think you're setting your kid up for trouble spelling names like that. But we were having the hardest time picking names for our kids because we wanted it to have meaning. We wanted it to help shape their identity and shape who they were going to become because I think naming a child is incredibly important, and especially when you look at the Bible, the name that you give your child is almost prophetic in a sense because you're speaking something over them by naming them before they even have a shot at becoming the person that they're going to be in life. So we were stressing over it and trying to come up with different names for our kids, and we just couldn't do it. One, one night we were hanging out with a bunch of friends, and, uh, you know, Kelly was getting really close to her due date, so she was, she was all swole up and pregnant looking. And so the question came up, do y'all have a name for your kid yet? And we immediately started freaking out, you know. No, we don't have a name for the kid yet. We don't even have like a short list of 10 names. Like we're struggling big time. And so my friend said, I want to give you something that helped us pick a name for our kids. And you guys try it. It's going to sound crazy. But if you try it, it'll help you narrow down the list for the names for your kids. And we thought, okay, awesome. Because you know, especially when you're having your first child, everybody's got advice for you. Everybody. You know, you guys that have just had your first child, you know that. You meet back on your first child. Family, friends, people you don't even know. Is this your first child? Let me tell you, this is what you need to know about having a baby, you know. They'll give you all the advice that you need to know. So I thought, okay, here comes some more free advice that I'm not going to be able to use in life. So the guy said this. What you guys need to do is just get in your car and start driving around 
and then just start randomly yelling names at the back seat like you're mad at something. <laughs> and then whatever names feel natural, you write those down on a list, and that becomes your short list of names that you can work off of. And I thought, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Uh, y'all didn't really do that. And they're like, no, yeah, we did. We drove around just shouting names at the back seat. And whatever, whatever felt natural, we wrote it down, and we picked our kid's name that way. I thought, that is absolutely insane. There's no way we're going to do that. So we're driving home, yelling names out at the back seat. And we're like, you know, uh, Renee! Samantha, Hannah, that one sounds pretty good. Okay, we can get used to that. So we wrote that down, you know, and we got our short list. We did Abby the same way too. (laughs) Carry it through, just yelling names at the back seat, finding the stuff that worked. And eventually, you know, we, we narrowed down the list and we came up with the names for our children. But names are incredibly important though. Names are incredibly important in choosing the course for a person's identity because names give us identity. Identity drives action. And action produces the fruit in our lives. We do out of who we think we are. We do out of who we think we are. That means that how I perceive myself is going to determine how I operate in life. If I see myself as being successful, then I'm more likely going to be successful in the things that I do. If I see myself as being smart, then I'm going to conduct myself as an intelligent person. But on the flip side of that, if I don't see myself as a smart person, then I'm probably going to operate in a way that reflects a low IQ or a low intelligence because of how I see myself out of that low self-esteem or that high self-esteem. Now, that's, that's Psych 101. That was free for you this morning. But most people pull their identity from a few sources. And the main one is basically just from ourselves, which is what this mirror is going to represent today. The reflection that we create our identity on is created by us, us, our habits, our actions, how we see ourselves. It mirrors back an image that we see to create the identity that we operate in. And it works both ways because our image and our identity creates the actions that we do, but the actions that we do help solidify the image that we have of ourselves. Is that making sense? It works both ways. So ourself, the stuff that's going on in our lives is there. And over here, we've got outside influences. Outside influences from other people and just life that happens to us along the way forms and shapes who we are out of our experiences of life. And these two mirrors cast reflections, creating images that we see and we interpret our identity from. But there's a third mirror that I want to talk to you about today, and it's going to come into play all through the message today. And the third mirror is the Word of God. The third mirror is the Word of God. The Word of God is 100% accurate 100% of the time. Amen? It is never wrong. It is never wrong. People have tried to, to discredit the Word of God for centuries, and they haven't been able to do it because every prophecy that's ever been listed in the Word of God has come to pass, and that shows us that the other prophecies that haven't come to pass will come to pass. It is 100% accurate. 100% of the time. 
we have these images that we derive from, but we also have the mirror of the Word of God that shows us an image of ourselves that should create and shape our identity. Okay? It should create and shape our identity. And the Word of God says a whole lot about us, and I want to start out walking us through this because this is incredibly important, guys, because the identity that we connect with about ourselves is going to set the tone for our lives and set the temperature for our lives spiritually. Okay? How we see ourselves is incredibly important, and the Bible has a lot to say about how we see ourselves and who we really are. I want to go with the Word of God a hundred times out of a hundred times because everything else is temporary. Only this right here, only the Word of God is eternal. Only the Word of God can be trustworthy for our lives. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, everyone say in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Everyone say, the old is gone. The new is here. That means that there's something different about us if we're in Christ Jesus. That once we're saved, once Jesus has done his work in our lives, we literally become a new creation that we were not before. In 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we got, that, we got the new creation in our lives because of Jesus. Now, we were lost in sin. The Bible says that Jesus took our sin on himself and then transferred his righteousness to us. That's awesome to me. That's absolutely awesome to me. And this is what I think is cool about 2 Corinthians 5.21 is that it says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To literally become the righteousness of God. To be righteous. To be righteous in our standing before God. Not that we would do righteous works or do righteous things, or behave in a way that pulls off the playlist of what a righteous person is supposed to do, but we would literally become righteousness in and of ourselves because of the work that God has done in us through Jesus. Where sin was there before, righteousness is now because he's done a creative work inside of us that has changed who we are from the inside out. And we couldn't get that on our own. It all had to come through the work of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, it reads like this. It says that, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And I'm going to stop for a second and break this down. What he's saying here is that before Jesus, spiritually, we were all dead. We were all dead, born into sin, born into transgression. We were hopeless. We were hopeless. 
I got that ticket, you got that ticket. We're all on the same ride before Jesus. We are dead in sin. Look at the person next to you and say, hey, you were dead just like me. Just like me, you were dead. And we were all born this way. We all started out this way. We all were dead in sin. We all, all, all were dead spiritually because of sin. There was no getting out of it. There's nothing that we could do to work our way out of it. We were dead. We were dead. We deserved the wrath of God. And because we were spiritually dead, we were subject to the rules of this world and the operation of this world spiritually, okay? That means that our thought process was a thought process of this world. That means that our decision-making parameters and process was the same decision-making parameters and process established by the fallen world. Our behaviors were set up in accordance to the ruling that we were under, and that was sin. We were all born slaves to sin. We didn't have a choice in the matter before Jesus. But I love what Ephesians 2 says next. This is absolutely awesome to me. It says, but... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. How many people are here today that are excited about the grace of God? You're grateful for the grace of God. You're grateful for the love of God that looked down on us, seeing that we couldn't do anything on our own. We couldn't get to him ourselves, said, I'll do what's necessary. I'll send my son. I'll pay the price. I'll forgive you of your sin. And not just do that, but I will literally do a new work in you and not just remove the bondage of sin in your life and not just set stamp a ticket so you can go to heaven, but I will literally do a new work inside of you and make you a new creation in me. With the old gone and the new here. A new creation in Jesus. And to me, that's awesome. I love how God doesn't just do stuff halfway. Like he goes full bore 100% with everything that he does. I love that. So now we've got three reflections though of how we decipher and determine our identity the bible says that before christ we were all dead in sin and he breathed life onto our spirit and this new guy in us comes to life for the first time comes to life for the first time But we are a three-part being. Just like God is a three-part being, we're created in the image of God. And the Bible says that we have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Okay, you with me? What I'm about to do, I'm about to break down why so many of us are struggling with having spiritual victory in our lives. Because how many of you would say you wake up every day feeling like an awesome Christian ready to conquer life? Every day. Every day you wake up that new creation ready to go out, win the world for Jesus, and raise the dead. Every day you wake up and you feel that way. I don't see a hand going up in here. Not every day. Because there's a part of us, a part of us, that's at conflict It's in conflict with what God has done in our spirit. 
We're a body, we're a soul, and we're a spirit. Spirit was dead before Jesus. Spirit is alive after Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. So I have this spirit that's alive in me, that's excited about God, that's passionate about God, that's focused on God, and wants to be like Christ, okay? But I've got this body that I've had all of my life with the fleshly and carnal desires that come with it because the flesh wants what the flesh wants, and you gotta put that stuff to death. Am I telling the truth? You gotta put that stuff to death. The flesh wants what the flesh wants. And then I've got the soul part of me. It's got my mind, my will, and my emotions. But it remembers all the stuff that I did before I was saved. It remembers all the stuff that happened to me before Jesus did his work in my spirit. And so I've got this conflict that's going on inside of me. I've got these three things that are throwing pictures of who I am at me, and I've got to choose which of those things is I'm going to go to to create my identity. It's either going to be the work that God's done in me, or it's going to be the stuff that I'm coming out of. And one of those things is going to form my perception of who I am and shape how I live my life and impact my walk with God in a powerful way. Is this making sense so far today? So we begin to look at this stuff. And over here, we look into the mirror of ourselves. Everybody say myself. Myself. Myself remembers stuff about myself. Myself knows the stuff that myself has done. Myself can tell you about myself because I know myself because I am myself. It is myself. This is the stuff that I've done. These are the decisions that I've made. This is the sin that I've committed. And a lot of times we look at the reflection of ourselves and instead of seeing who the Bible says that we are now, we see all the stuff that we struggle with. And I wanted to... I wanted to, to break down some of the top things that I hear from people when they come in to counsel with me and talk with me and, and I work with people to overcome issues in their life and talk them through stuff. And, and uh, these are some of the top things that people find themselves struggling with sin-wise every time. And the first one is almost always sexual. Sexual sin. Sexual sin from our past can dramatically impact how we see ourselves today, especially after Jesus. Now, I think it's awesome that when I write on this, depending on where you are, the letters are going to show up really good or they're going to be kind of faint. And isn't that the truth about how things operate in our lives? Sometimes that image of who we used to be is just faint in a mirror, and sometimes it screams as loud as a person sitting right next to you. And so we think about the stuff that we did and the people that we did it with. And if we're not careful, that can carry over and it can affect our image of ourselves. We always go back there. We hear that song that was playing when we were with that person. Or we see that person at the mall in, in town and immediately we feel guilty and we feel dirty. And when we look at our spouse now, even after being saved, even after having Jesus change us and do a work in us, 
we look at them and the enemy comes back and he reminds us of all the stuff that we did before Christ, that we did before we were married, and it makes us feel guilty because we can't give to our spouse what we already gave away to so many other people. Sexual sin is powerful. Another thing that people get caught up with in identifying themselves is addiction. They think about how they were an addict. People struggle with addictions. People who were addicts still struggle with the fact that they were addicted sometimes. And we think about not just the drugs that we were hooked on or not just the alcohol that we were hooked on. And, and here's a big one nowadays. There's prescription pain medication is a huge entry point into becoming addicted. It just is it's crazy. You go in trying to get pain meds because you broke something and you end up getting hooked on the pain meds that were supposed to help you. And it's a trap. And when you look at this reflection, you see the addictions in your life. You, maybe you see the damage that you caused because of the addiction. You see the family that's destroyed because of your addiction. And you might be saved and you might be forgiven, but you walk around with the guilt of that and it affects how you see yourself. You think about the, the, the marriage that was probably damaged because of the addiction. The stuff that you had to do to supply the money for the, the addiction. It all comes into play. Another big one is bitterness. People are just bitter. Bitterness is a huge sin. It's a huge condition to overcome because bitterness is the fruit of deep setted unforgiveness it's the result of unforgiveness in our lives when we don't forgive we become angry and when we stay angry eventually we become bitter because we don't release all of it to God and we might be saved and we might have a great relationship with Jesus but we're never able to overcome all the hurt that we experience in our lives and here's another big one for people and this one always comes up when I talk to people Stuff that's a secret. It's that secret stuff. It's that sin that was in your life that nobody knows about. It's that stuff that you kept locked up deep inside because if you told people the real stuff that you did, they would freak out and never look at you the same way. Because if your spouse found out how freaky you were before you got married, they wouldn't let you touch them. It's that secret stuff in your lives. And the last one is just bad decisions. Bad choices that happened in our lives, either before or after Jesus. When we look at ourselves and we look at the stuff that we've done, we look at the stuff that Jesus paid for. But we look at it and it reflects back to us because in our minds and emotionally it never really goes away. Even though spiritually we're a new creation. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Y'all know what I'm talking about here? Like spiritually I'm alive and spiritually I'm passionate. But this stuff right here doesn't go away. And when I see the reflection of this in my life, it creates a conflict and it causes me to doubt what God said he could do in my life. It affects how I see myself. 
maybe it's not so much us and the stuff that we've done and struggled with and overcome that creates the issue of our image. Maybe it's the stuff that's happened because of the things that other people have done and that life has thrown at us that shaped how we see ourselves today. And there's a lot of powerful things that come into play, and the first one is just words. The words that people say are incredibly powerful in shaping our identity. You can look at a child, and a child that life is spoken over, that child is happy and believes they can do anything. But a child that you speak negative things over and criticize constantly is a child that will reflect that and will struggle in life. The Bible says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. You know that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You ever say that as a kid? Isn't that a crock? That's the biggest crock ever. That's a load of hot steaming doo-doo. That's exactly what that is. Because words hurt, man. Words hurt. I could take y'all on a journey through my life and I could point to things that people said to me that made me feel like I could conquer the world and I can point to things that people said to me that made me feel like I was absolutely useless and worthless. Maybe you had a parent that wasn't the best at saying the kind words to you. Maybe you had a parent that was incredibly critical and it helped shape your identity. And even today, even in Christ, even as a child of God, even as a child of God, the words that were spoken over you years ago are still affecting how you see yourself today. And if it's not words, a lot of times it can just be abuse. Abuse. Maybe you grew up in an abusive home. Maybe you're in an abusive relationship, in an abusive marriage. And it's not just the women that get abused in marriages. I know a lot of guys that have been verbally and physically abused by their wives, and it's messed with them psychologically, and it's messed with them. Abuse comes into play. Why? Because if you're abused, you have a hard time trusting people. You have a hard time loving people. You have a hard time letting people in if you've been abused Betrayal is another huge one. Betrayal by a friend, by your husband, by your wife. There is nothing that's as devastating as having to look your spouse in the eyes while they cry and tell you that they've cheated on you. There's nothing quite as devastating as finding that out. And I've counseled countless people, countless people who are saved. God's done the work in their lives, but they just aren't able to shake that out of who they are. And it affects them and their relationships today. And it affects what they're able to do in the kingdom of God because they're just not able to get over the betrayal or the disappointment. disappointment that comes from life sometimes because things don't work out the way that we wanted them to because we didn't get the promotion that we wanted we didn't get the job that we wanted we didn't get the check that we thought we should have gotten things didn't work out and because they didn't work out the way that we wanted them to we get aggravated and frustrated and sometimes 
we get mad at God because he ought to get with our program and do what we want him to do. And when it comes to other people and outside influences, sometimes the worst one is church. There are a lot of people who are not in church today that were in church years ago because of something that happened to them in church. And it impacts not just their identity, but how they see God's ability to work through others and the integrity of the church that God has chosen to work through. How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody in church? I got two hands up before I was in ministry and after I've I've been in ministry. You know why? Churches are full of people. People are jacked up. Everybody say jacked up. People are jacked up. People do things. People sometimes do selfish things. People sometimes can be incredibly mean because we are all in need of God doing a work in us. Nobody's perfect. Maybe you're here today and you got hurt in church. First of all, I say if you got hurt in church and you're here today, that's awesome. I think that that's awesome. Maybe leadership disappointed you. Maybe somebody in the church didn't follow through on what they said they were going to do. Maybe you had to deal with gossip. Maybe you had to deal with slander. Maybe you had to deal with some of the petty stuff that you have to deal with in a church family sometimes. Or maybe you're here and it wasn't another church. Maybe you're here today and this church has done something. Or someone in this church has done something to hurt your feelings or to disappoint you in an incredible way. Maybe leadership in this church has. And I can tell you, look, I'm the pastor of this church, and I can tell you, if you hang around me long enough, I'm going to do my best not to do this, but if you hang around me long enough, odds are I'm going to do something to disappoint you. I can't be everywhere that I need to be. I can't do everything that I need to do because I'm a human. And listen, Pastor Josh isn't a perfect guy. That doesn't mean that I'm not striving for it, but it means that I'm human and I can make mistakes. And when people in church make mistakes, we ought to be able to forgive the people in church that make mistakes. Amen? Now, I'm not covering up anything big that's happened in the church, at least to my knowledge. There's nothing huge or, or junky going on. We've got a great church full of great people that love God, but people are people, and sometimes people fall short. And this is what I'd say to you. I wouldn't let the mistakes and the failures of other people, I would not misinterpret that for the heart of God towards you. Amen? Don't misinterpret that as the heart of God towards you. But what we'll do is we'll look at these things, and if we're not careful, we'll let our identity form from the reflection that we see in these mirrors in our lives out of the stuff that's happened to us and the people in our lives or the stuff that we've done before Christ and after Christ, and we'll let that shape who we are. That's not who we are. Who we are is found in the Word of God. Every time. Every time, 100% right, 100% of the time. Sin is sin, stuff is stuff, but it's all temporary. The Word of God is eternal. Now, here's where a lot of people struggle, and this is probably... If I had to point to the biggest struggle I've had personally in my walk with God over the years, it's been on this issue of identity time after time after time. Because the enemy's really good 
at reminding us of all the junk that we've done in our lives, isn't he? The enemy's really good. He is really, really good at reminding us of all the stuff that people have done to us and all the stuff that's happened to us in our lives. And the reason why he's good at reminding us of that stuff is because he wants to keep our focus on the reflections that we see out of these mirrors because if he can do that, he can keep us in a place where we're creating our identity from something that is not who we really are in Christ. And that's the game that he plays. You know, when he went after Jesus, the devil hit Jesus when he tempted him in the wilderness he went after his identity he said if you are the son of God do this if you are the son of God do if you are who you say you are then do this do this and do this he always called into question the identity of Jesus and he's still doing the same trick today because if he can get you confused on your real identity then he can kill your productivity in the kingdom of God. And you don't become a threat to him anymore. And you miss out on the potential and the blessing and the anointing and the power and the freedom the word of God says that you can have because of what Jesus has done in you. And more importantly, who you are in Christ is your true identity. You miss out on that because he head fakes us with this stuff. Too many times. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we're going to go back to that again. It reads like this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. It says anyone, not just a select spiritual VIP group of people. Anyone. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. You know what anyone means? Anyone. I looked it up. You know what the Greek word for anyone means? Anyone. Anybody. That means your name could go right there. Where it says, therefore, if, I could put my name. Therefore, if Josh is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You could put your name in there. In fact, I want to do this because some of you probably never thought about yourself this way before. I want to do this as a church. I'm going to read this again, and where it says anyone, I want you to say your name with me, okay? So I'm going to say, therefore, if, and I want to say Josh because that's my name. I want you to say your name because it's your name. That makes sense? That's not too complicated. Don't say Josh if you're not Josh. Don't work that way. So here we go. All right, therefore, if Josh is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. The new is here, guys. The old is gone. The new is here. You are a new creation if you are in Christ Jesus. Now, the key there is being in Christ. In Christ. See, a lot of people, when it comes to this stuff, we focus on these things that we've dealt with. And we think that that's how it's just going to be in our lives. And, and we're saved and we believe in God and we read the Bible and we know that, that this stuff is awesome and we read about the stuff that it says that we are and the stuff that we can do and the things that we can have. And we say, that's great, but we're also really focused on this too. And so we think, well, this stuff is great as a philosophy, but in practical life, this is who I am and this is what I've got to deal with. 
And so this stuff sounds great and it probably works for everybody else, but this stuff is what I'm having to deal with and this is my reality. This stuff is awesome for everybody else, but it's just not how it works in my life. You ever been through a season of life where you looked at what God was doing in everybody else's life and you looked around and said, gee whiz, why not me? I could use a promotion. I could use a check in the mail that paid my mortgage like that person was talking. I could use this. I could use that. You know, it seems to work for everybody else, but not for me. And I want to tell you that that is a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says if anyone, anyone, that's you, that's me, is in Christ, that we are a new creation. And a lot of people say, well, that's great, and that's awesome, but I've been through a whole lot of junk, and I believe that God is great, but I don't know that if I, I'm, I'm ever going to be able to get past this. I don't know that, that, that the, the gaps in my life and in my, what, my failures and my faults and this, where, where I fall short in my life, those gaps, that void in my life, I, I just don't see me with that kind of baggage being able to do all the stuff that God says that I can do and I'll be happy to get into heaven and I'll, ha I'll be happy to know that Jesus forgave me of my sins but when you start talking about living an overcoming life and a powerful spiritual life I just can't see myself that way because I believe that it's for everybody else and not for me because this is just the way things are for my life and I want to tell you that if you're a new creation in Jesus new creation Creation means that something is made that wasn't there before. Are you hearing me? If the same God, if, that, if God can step out at the act of creation when he created everything that we see and experience today, if he can step out into a void, into nothing, and say, let there be light and light appear where there was no light before. If he can divide the waters that he created that weren't there before, if he can speak the universe that we see into existence, if we serve a God that can create all of that, can you tell me that that same God can't speak to the voids in your life and bring about things that are not as though they were? That he can't look at the hurt and speak healing? That he can't look at the failure and speak success? That he can't create in you something new that wasn't there before? The Bible says that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You're a new creative work. The old has gone. The new has come. God can fill our gaps. God can do the creative work in our lives that needs to be done. See, Jesus is the key. He is the key that locks the door to our past and opens the door to our future. He covers it up. He washes it away. And he creates something new in us. Because this Bible right here, this Bible isn't just a mirror that shows us a reflection of who we truly are. It's a window that lets us see past where we are to the potential of everything that we can be in Christ Jesus. Did you know that the words in Christ are mentioned about 140 times in the New Testament and the Old Testament? And 35 of those times, it is used directly in relation to our identity because it's tied up in Christ, in Christ. And this is what the Bible says about you 
in Christ. We're going to stop listening to these things for a second, and we're going to focus on what the Bible says about you and about me when it comes to our relationship with God and who we are as a new creation in Christ. Are you ready? You're not ready. Are you ready? Look at the person next to you and ask them, are you ready? Everybody wake up. This is, this is it. This is the awesome stuff right here. Listen to me. In Christ, in Christ, the Bible says that I am free from sin and forgiven. That's what the Bible says. In Christ, I am free from sin and forgiven. That means all of this stuff that I've carried with me in my old nature, not only am I just forgiven from it, The Bible says that I am free from it. The Bible says that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I mean, this without debate. You are set free. So what I do with this stuff is I put it under the blood of Jesus. And I say, you know what? If I'm forgiven, then I'm forgiven. If I'm free, then I'm free. And if I'm in Christ... I'm a new creation. And the old is gone and the new has come. So instead of seeing this now, all I see, all I see is the covering that Jesus provides for me. Because he takes our sin and he makes us white as snow. So when I look at this now, I don't see, I don't see the sin. What I see is the work that Jesus has done in my life to set me free from the sin. I see the work that he's done in my life to forgive me of the mistakes that I've made in my past. Now this might be the stuff that I've done and it might be something that that I did, but it's not who I am. Are you hearing me? It's what I did, but it's not who I am. Who I am is a new creation in Christ. And what we do is we come over here. This is another thing that the Bible says about us. It says that in Christ, in Christ that I am healed, I am restored, and I am free from my past. That's what the Bible says. That I am healed, I am restored, and I'm free from my past. That's who I am in Christ. And if that's true, then the same covering in Christ that takes care of this, takes care of this. And so I put this under the blood of Jesus, and I say, you know what? I don't have to identify myself with this stuff anymore. This is what happened to me. This is what life threw at me. This is what people said about me. This is what I experienced, but it's not who I am. Because I am not the words that people spoke over me. I am not the product of what's happened to me in my life. I, if I am in Christ, the Bible says, I am a new creation. And this is covered. And when I look at that, I don't see the issues that I struggled with and I don't see the stuff that I had to fight through. I don't see the stuff that people did to me. I don't see the disappointment or the hurt or the things I had to process through. What I see is the God that healed, the God that restored, and the God that set me free. And this stuff that happens to me becomes a foundation for my testimony of what God can do in your life. Because if he can do it in mine, he can do it in yours. Because the Bible says, if anyone, 
is in Christ. You can be a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Here's some other things the Bible says about us. The Bible says that not only are we healed and restored and all of that stuff, but it says that I have everything that I need for life and God. Everything. When I look at this, the Bible tells me I am equipped with everything I'm going to need to face any issue of life. That I have everything that I need in Christ for my spiritual growth and success in my spiritual journey as I'm drawing closer to Him. The Bible also says this. The Bible says that, here, here's another thing. It says, it says that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I'm more than a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. That means that we don't just dominate and overcome. We go the next level and we're more than conquerors in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ. He gives us the ability to overcome the issues in our lives. Now, I'm really excited about this one. Here's another thing the Bible says about us. The Bible says that I have authority over Satan. That means when he comes to me, and when he comes to you and stirs all this stuff up and tries to dupe us and tries to get us to lose our true identity and to focus on the stuff that we've done and that we've been through and to try to deceive us into thinking that's all we've ever were and that's all we're ever going to be, that means we've got authority not to listen to that joker anymore. We can tell him, shut up. We can tell him, stop it. Take authority over you in the name of Jesus. Everything you're saying is a lie. You shut your mouth right now. You're not going to have your way with my family. You're not going to have your way with me. I have authority over him in the name of Jesus. All the petty stuff that the enemy tries to throw at us to frustrate us, I think too many times we tolerate it longer than we need to. The time to take the enemy out is when he's about two miles down the road, not when he's at your front door. You know what I mean? I want to send an intercontinental ballistic missile right down his throat from a long distance away. You know why? Because he's not worthy of hand-to-hand combat with me because I'm a child of the Most High God. And i got authority over him. Here's something else the Bible says about you and the Bible says about me. It says that in Christ that I have access to all the power of the Holy Spirit. Most people have no idea what that even means. But that same Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in you and living in me if we are in Christ Jesus. That means that we have access to all the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians, that we can operate in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our life because we have access to all the power of the Holy Spirit. That means that awesome stuff that we read about in the book of Acts, where the church was going nuts and telling everybody about Jesus, and blind people were being healed, and sick people were being healed, and people that were dead were being raised from the dead, and you were seeing signs and wonders, and people operating in in miraculous spiritual gifts where words of prophecy and, and and words of knowledge and and all these awesome things, being able to teach with power and anointing, that's not just for a group of people in the Bible, that's for you and me today because in Christ we have access to all the power of the Holy Spirit. The old is gone, the new is here. The old is gone, the new is here. And I think this is what I'm most excited about is that in Christ I can have a relationship with God. I can have a relationship with God. 
It's not some distant being millions of miles away. He's right here with me right now. Right with me right now. Right with you right now. Through every season, through every storm, through every success, through every failure, in Christ I have a relationship with God. And that's where it all starts. Because all of this stuff that I've talked about, your identity comes from the inside out. Out of that work that Jesus has done in you as a new creation. Too many times we try to earn our way into heaven even after salvation. And too many times we try to prove our spiritual maturity by what we do. And that's wrong. What we do is a byproduct of our spiritual maturity based on what God has done inside of us. Does that make sense? It's an inside-out thing. We're a new creation, and that new creation is on the inside and manifests itself through what we do. It all starts with Jesus. It all ends with Jesus. If you look through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, one of the big themes through the whole Bible has been the theme of our identity and what God has done to restore what he intended us to be through what we fell through sin and became so that at the end we could reflect the image that he truly wanted us to bear. Genesis to Revelation. In Revelation 2, there's a verse in Revelation 2.17. It says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit has, or the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I want to know what that is. That just sounds awesome. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. A white stone with a name written on it. Given identity again. white stone with a name written on it. I think it's funny, Pastor Brad was talking about the high priest back in Bible days, back when the temple was in effect and the rules of the temple were in effect. Um, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies that one day a year where he was able to do that, the high priest would be able to go in go into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God resided and only he could go in there one time a year after some crazy preparation to purify himself because if he went in with any kind of sin in his life he would have been struck dead in the presence of God and they would have pulled on a rope that was tied to his ankle and drug his body out because nobody else wanted to go in there after him and they would have sent the next guy in talk about pressure so the high priest goes in and what he does when he's in the Holy of Holies is he sprinkles the blood of animals that were sacrificed onto the Ark of the Covenant and onto the mercy seat. And he does that, he does that for the forgiveness of the sins of the nation. And when he goes into the Holy of Holies, what's really cool is that the high priest would wear a breastplate. And on this breastplate, there would be stones. Twelve stones each of them carrying one of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
that as he went into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sin, for the forgiveness of the sin of the people and the presence of God, he was walking into the presence of God with the names of the tribes carried with him, symbolically bringing the entire nation into the presence of God for forgiveness. Symbolically bringing every name that was under the name of that tribe into the presence of God. That's awesome. In that same time, if you were caught up in a legal matter, in public court, they would have juries back then. It was a big one or just a few people. And you would have the ability to cast your verdict, guilty or not guilty, by presenting a stone. A guilty verdict carried a black stone. But if you presented a white stone in favor of the person, it means that you were pronouncing them innocent and acquitted of what they were accused of. Jesus, Revelation says, that I've gone into the presence of God as your high priest, and I've brought your name before, the, before God, and I've atoned for your forgiveness, and I've come out to present to you a white stone, a verdict of not guilty with a new name written on it with a new identity written on it because the Bible says that all those who are in Christ that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation the old has gone the new has come my question to you today is this what mirror are you allowing to create your identity today. Do you look at the Word of God and know that you are what it says that you are and you can do what it says that you can do? Or do you say, yeah, that's great, but... Bow your heads and close your eyes.